Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so we are beginning our new topic, which is all about self-esteem through Jewish eyes and what that means. Last week, we finished up with Hakpada, and I think it was in that class that I was talking a little bit about the fragile society that we live in. And because we live in a generation like this, it seems that the issue of self-esteem has become enormous, right? Because nobody wants to hurt anybody's self-esteem. And nowhere is that more apparent in how people raise their children today. You know, we mentioned that they've taken away scorekeeping and some intramural sports because God forbid your child should never lose because that might what? It might damage his self-esteem. And we've gone to such degree with this that, um, you know, there's all kinds of things written about it. So just a couple of funny ideas that I printed when I was giving this talk a while back. So you might be a helicopter parent if... You only let your child play on playgrounds with shredded rubber mulch. Number two, the first thing you did when your fourth grader came home crying from school because her best friend Jill called her a name is to call Jill's mom to sort things out yourself. Number three, you found yourself up at 11 p.m. rewriting your child's English essay because you know that they could have done a better job if they hadn't been so tired. (laughs) Number four, your eight-year-old still has training wheels on his bike. Not that you let him ride it that often. The sidewalks are dangerous, and they go too fast for you to keep up. Number five, you have a bad back from stooping down and following your toddler's every step. You get heart palpitations at the thought of letting your child go on a field trip with their class. Having them help out by preparing dinner or cleaning the house has never crossed your mind. Knives are sharp and the cleaning fluids are too dangerous. As an Xmas gift, you gave your daycare a webcam so you could watch the daily happenings while you are at work. You and your son are having a meeting with the teacher and when she asks him a question, you answer it for him. Your child didn't get accepted to his preferred major at college, so you call the chair of the department to negotiate for an exception. Okay, so these are just, and we said the helicopter mom's already old-fashioned because people have gotten even better than that. But the idea is because of this climate of our society where everybody's so worried about other people's feelings and not offending them, um, we're, we're in for a lot of trouble in terms of people's self-esteem and and how, how, they're, how they are going to be able to achieve true self-esteem. I mentioned also that Jonathan Haidt, who's a professor at uh, universities, talks about children in general. He says, children are anti-fragile. Bone is anti-fragile. If you treat it gently, it will get bit brittle and break. Bone actually needs to get banged around to toughen up, and so do children. So anxiety, fragility, and psychological weakness have skyrocketed in the last 15 to 20 years. Millennials are going to college with much thinner skins. And because of that, you know, there's all these demands that they never hear anything offensive. Okay, so we talked about that, and that's not really our topic. We're not talking about 
children or the society that we live, we live in, what we're really talking about is what does the Torah mean when it talks about self-esteem. So, you probably have heard this story before about the new student in the Navardic Yeshiva, and he comes in, and he sits down, and he hears all the people around him, and he hears them saying things like, I'm a nothing, I'm a worm, I'm a gornished. So he figures, you know, this is what they do in the Navardic Yeshiva. He's going to chime in too. So he starts yelling at the top of his lungs, I'm a nobody, I'm a gornished, I'm a nothing. And one guy turns to another guy next to him and says, look at this guy, he just got here and already he thinks he's a gornished. Okay, so it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference between humility and what may be instead low self-esteem. Especially because in society, too, one of the definitions of being humble is being weak and meek, according to the Webster's Dictionary. So sometimes we tend to confuse the difference between somebody who's truly humble and somebody who has low self-esteem. So on the flip side, and we're going to discuss all of these ideas in greater detail, but just to give you a taste of everything, we also have Gaiva. And whenever a person begins to work on themselves and work on becoming more humble or finding that proper place of self-esteem, directly confronting one's gaiva can be very problematic, according to the Bali Musser, because what it can do is it can break a person's self-esteem together with their gaiva. Gaiva means arrogance, okay? How did you know I was asking you that question? Because I know. I knew that. Oh my God, I really was. I was going to I know you were. <laughs> anyway, okay, so yes, gaiva means a, a blown up sense of yourself, a, a arrogant personality. So you want to work on it. You know that you have a certain arrogance. You want to work on it. But the but like I said, Ravolbe and Ale Shore says you have to be very careful because you don't want to break your self-esteem. You don't want to become depressed. You don't want to despair at the fact that you have all this negative, you know, meat out character traits that you need to change, and so we have to be very careful. Now, if he's talking about that in regards to men, Dina Schoonmaker points out that we even have to be more careful as women, because women already tend to suffer from a low sense of self, right? We tend, as we've said in other classes, to be harder on ourselves, and therefore, it's more, we, we, some, we sometimes have more of a problem with a low sense of self and not as much from gaiva, from true arrogance. And what our goal is, is to try and achieve a healthy, stable sense of self, a balanced sense of self. Okay? And this is a concept in uh, character development called hishta'avut. Hishta'avut from the word shaveh which means equal, balanced. We're trying to find the equilibrium somewhere between gaiva and anava. Okay, but, but it's not even that so much as you'll see when I continue. So having a sense of equilibrium. So let me give you an example. There's a dialogue that goes on between two Hasidim in the book Hovo Salavavos, Duties of the Heart. One says to the other, did you reach this mida of equilibrium? Did you reach this ability to be totally balanced in terms of your personality? Not too arrogant, not too self-effacing, but somewhere in the middle? And the other responds, well, wh what do you mean? 
In which area? And the, the other Chassid says, well, has praise and criticism become equal to you? In other words, when somebody praises me or somebody criticizes me, I'm completely, it, it doesn't matter whether they're telling me how wonderful I am or whether they're telling me how terrible I am, I'm unmoved by it, right? Has praise and criticism become equal to you? And the Hasid said, no. And he says, well, if that's the case, then you have not yet arrived at acquiring this mida of hishta'avut, of being an even-keeled person, of being a balanced individual. And so that's the question we have to ask ourselves, and that's how we discover where we are holding in terms of our own self-esteem. This is the question that I want you all to think about this week. Is my response to being criticized and being praised the same? Well, we don't have to think about that too much, I don't think, because probably for most of us, just like this Hasid, no, it isn't. I obviously respond much differently when somebody gives me a compliment and tells me something nice about myself than when somebody calls me a moron and, you know, corrects everything I'm doing or something that I'm doing. And that's a problem because if you are moved by criticism and, um, and praise, right, you're kind of like walking around a perfect target for people in terms of being affected by everybody. So, you know, just picture, you know, you've just been praised. Somebody just told you, you know, that you're the most kindest and most wonderful person they've ever met, right? And so you're walking around feeling really good about yourself. You're kind of like a, a balloon that's just blown up to max, right? And then the very next moment you meet somebody else, you know, or maybe you bump into somebody or whatever by mistake, you trip, you, you know, hit somebody in the face and they say, you idiot, watch out where you're going or whatever, or somebody comes along and tells you something about yourself that isn't exactly flattering. So here you are, this big balloon, one second, and the very next second, it's as if somebody's put a pin into the balloon and you become totally deflated. Okay, so we're talking about this as an extreme because truly this is the way most of us walk around this world when we are feeling that our self-worth is dependent on other people on external criteria, on whether they like me, they don't like me. He loves me so, he loves me not. He loves me so, he loves me not, right? It's very, very difficult. Okay, let's continue. We want to really understand this point. So what this means is whether the feedback you're getting is critical or complimentary, your response has to be the same. So for example, you just spent a whole bunch of time making a beautiful dinner for your children tonight, Nessia. And one kid says, yuck, I hate these meatballs. And another kid says, thanks, Mom, this is my favorite dinner. I love when you make these meatballs. Okay? So according to this idea of hishta'avut, of being totally receiving criticism and praise in exactly the same way, neither comment should affect your mood. Okay? The kid who says, Mom, you're the best cook in the whole world. Your meatballs are incredible. Nobody else cooks like you. And the kid who says, Yuck! How many times have I told you I hate this dinner? Right? I, I don't want this. Okay? Neither should affect your mood. But we know that we're human and we're sensitive to outside feedback. But the goal is not to be. Isn't that interesting? The goal is 
And this is something, obviously, that's on a very lofty level, right? This midah of hishta'avut, of being even-keeled and balanced, again, should be that in your eyes, whether someone praises you or criticizes you, it's all the same. Now, don't worry, we're going to flesh this out a little bit more. It's not as simple as it sounds. Okay, so... The question we have to ask ourselves is, is my sense of self coming from my internal reality or is it coming from an external criteria? So hishta'avut is the way I react to whether I'm criticized or praised. But sometimes it has nothing to do with other people and what they say. Sometimes it's all about a certain external criteria that's out there, and all of a sudden, I don't feel the same way about myself anymore that I once did. Let me give you an example. So let's say, you know, you get all dressed up to go to a wedding, and you think you look incredible. Or, you know, we can just use a, a girl in a, in a classroom, right? She gets dressed up for school that day, and she feels really good about herself. But then she walks into the classroom, and she sees another girl in the class who... Who, who, who looks more beautiful than she is, right? Who, who, who hardly had to do anything, you know, she just, she's just that pretty girl in class that always looks good. So, you know, I just spent all this time, hi Susan, welcome. I just spent all this time getting myself, you know, putting on my, my, my makeup and getting myself all dressed up or you're going to a wedding, right? And you got a new dress and you feel great. But then you see that woman, you know, she's not wearing any makeup. She's like dressed and she's still more beautiful than you are, like, ugh. Right? So sometimes it's an external criteria. I thought I was the smartest in the class. I was until I went to Harvard. Right? And now all of a sudden, because of this external criteria, well, gee whiz, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Okay? So how does that shake us? How does that move us out of that place of ishta'avut, of balanced, of being even keeled? Okay. Um, so the Rambam... In Perik Dalit, in Mishnah Dalit, he says, be very, very humble. Okay? That's just the introduction to this next idea. So, another story about two Hasidim. One Hasid asked the other one, what was the happiest day of your life? So, this other Hasid, this is a story in the Gemara, he starts explaining to him, the happiest day in my life was one time when I was treated in a very lowly way. I was completely and utterly degraded. Okay, and since this is a mature audience, I could tell you the actual story. It's about a chassid who was on a ship. Maybe you've heard this before from the Gemara. And he fell asleep on the boat, and somebody came along while he was sleeping and urinated on him. Okay, this was the happiest day of his life. Now, why? Because, he said, I was shocked that another person could, could do such a thing, but I was so happy that I was not moved by it. I was not moved by the fact that he degraded me in this way. Of course, I was surprised by his chutzpah, and I felt bad for him, like what could make somebody do this to another person? But I was so happy that somebody could degrade me so much and I wasn't even sensitive about it. Okay, now this is the story that the Gemara brings down to give us an extreme description of somebody who's called a chassid gadol. Why? 
because here he was so degraded and he wasn't moved by it. He wasn't offended, insulted, didn't want to take revenge, going back to our last class, you know, but he was able to just focus on this other guy that he must be crazy, he must be, you know, chutzpah dick, he must not be, you know, be missing some marbles. But I didn't feel a thing in terms of my own sense of self-worth. It didn't change at all. I wasn't enraged or insulted by it. And I was so happy. This was the happiest day of my life because I got to a place where I wasn't moved by his degradation. And that's called a chassid gadol. So the question is, why was he so happy about it? You want to catch her up? Thank you. Yeah, you don't want to miss that good story. That's a great story. (laughs) Wow. Extreme. So why was this chassid so happy about the fact that he was so degraded, so insulted, so offended? Yeah. Do you so have a question, Penny? How you told the story was this guy who did it doesn't know him. What if it was a friend? What if it was his brother? What it, would would this be different? Do you know what I mean? I, I hear <coughs> what you're saying. That would do but it. I think the point of this story is saying that this is an example of somebody who it wouldn't matter who did it to him. Just his reaction. The happiest day of his life was that his even reaction. if these things had happened to him in life and he would get angry or he would get, you know, he, again, he would feel like a, a big balloon when somebody tells him he's great and he would feel like a nothing when somebody tells him he's a, he's a nobody. He'd been working his whole life to get to this very high level where whether somebody praises me or somebody insults me, doesn't matter if it's my brother, a stranger, my mother, my sister, doesn't matter who it is. I don't get my sense of self-worth from anybody else. Not in terms of the positive and not in terms of the negative. I remain unmoved because I know my own self-worth. I know who I am. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's really the core of self-esteem. Okay? So let's continue. So this is the question. What was he so happy about? Okay, you know, somebody insulted him and degraded him. He didn't punch him in the nose. He didn't do anything back to him. But to to say this is the happiest day of his life, why? So we have a concept called Ein Simcha Kehatara Sasfekos. There's no Simcha. There's no greater joy in this world than the resolution of doubt. Right, and we know that just in every day, you've got two choices in front of you, and you're anxious, and you're staying up nights trying to think which one is the right decision, which college should my kid go to, which, yeah. Can you just repeat it in Hebrew? Ein, yeah, ein simcha. There's no simcha, kehatarat sefeko, like the resolution of doubt. Okay. So you've got two decisions in front of you and you finally make the decision or you ask a rav or he tells you what to do and he said, and, and suddenly you feel calm. You feel happy, right? I made the decision and now I don't have to worry about it anymore. I feel confident about it, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. There's a certain simcha of just having been able to get through that and make that decision. Okay? So this is how we understand this. When a person Now take it back to self-esteem. When a person has question marks about himself all the time, about his value and his worth, he's always in a situation of suffix, of doubt. Will they like me? Won't they like me? Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I, am I, you know, 
Do I measure up? What about my kids? Are they good enough? Are they, right? They're always in this state of doubt. Am I happy? Am I depressed? Am I angry? You're always in a place of uncertainty. Okay? So sometimes we experience that place of being above a situation and we get a glimpse of what it means to not be moved by the negativity around us. Okay? Sometimes we have those times in our lives when everybody else is going berserk and for some reason we're blessed that our mind, we're just totally not getting emotionally pulled in, right? And we see all around us what's happening, but we, we're kind of staying above it. We're not allowing ourselves to be sucked in. You know how often that can happen in family situations or with children, etc. We stay on top of it. And there's a certain sense of joy there because you're not dealing with the uncertainty of, of the situation. You're, you're in control, so to speak. You're not being moved by it because you're leading with the seichel, so to speak, right? You haven't allowed your emotions to become embroiled in it, okay? Again, so back to the story of the chassid gadol. What's he so happy about? Why is this the best day of his life? Why could this be the best day of a person's life? Because a person is so solid in himself, even when something so degrading happens, that he realizes this is a sign of internal peace, an internal sense of self, that I don't get degraded by outside sources. The chassid is telling us because it was a day that he knew his sense of self was so true that he'd been working on his sense of self for years and years and years because nobody's born with this. This is something we have to work on, right? And so he was spending his whole life trying to work on not being overly moved by whether people say nice or not nice, but recognizing his self-worth is comes from within. He, it was a day that he knew his self, sense of self-worth was so true that even being degraded did not result in him doubting himself or his self-worth. Okay, so you're not getting angry, you're not getting defensive, you're not, because didn't affect me. Now, how can that be? How does that happen? What does a person have to be able to work through to be able to get to such a lofty level? Okay? And again, this is a very high level, Penny. We're not getting there tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> so, you know why? Because, listen, let's face it. Human beings, we're, it's normal for us to be affected by what people say and do, even if you have the best self-esteem we are going to be influenced and affected by what people say and do. But the goal is to get to a place where I'm above it. Okay? Now, we understand this very e very easily when it comes to negative experiences. Okay? If somebody says something to you, you know, well, you're so lazy, right? But you know you're not lazy, okay? You just took a break now, right? Why is it that I can be working so hard in the house all day long, and for some reason, whenever my husband walks in, five minutes before, I've just sat down? You know? Uh, ha! No, I, or, or I, I lied down, right? Or I'm lying down, right? Whatever it is, it's, the point is it's like, no, it doesn't look the way it looks, right? Or it doesn't have to be your husband, but that seems to always be the way things happen, right? Like, no, I just cleaned the whole house, I just did the laundry, I just made a gourmet dinner for you, you know, whatever it is, okay? But the point is, is, okay, 
But, okay, we understand this when it comes to negative experience, but what about good experience? What's so bad about feeling good when someone compliments me? Okay, we understand that if we get overly insulted by what people do or don't do, and we talked about this a lot in Hakpada, then we're just hurting ourselves, and, and, and we're just destroying our own self, nobody else, right? But what about when people say something good about us? What's wrong with that? Why shouldn't we accept the compliments and feel good about ourselves? Okay, so the answer is there is nothing bad about saying thank you to a compliment and enjoying the compliment, right? And not saying, oh, no, no, I'm not, or, oh, I only got this thing for on sale at Winners for $5. Don't, don't, don't tell me you like it, you know, whatever it is. Don't give me a compliment. I, you know, the point is, is, you know, when it comes to somebody telling us something good about ourselves, what should we do? We should say thank you. We're allowed to feel good. But if I view myself as a bigger person now because of what they said, I was pretty before, but now I'm prettier. I was kind before, but now I'm kinder. I knew I was smart, but now I'm really smart. Okay, everybody hear this? then this is how we are not getting our sense of self from within. We're allowing it to affect us in a way that can lead to arrogance, that can lead to a disproportionate sense of our positive self to the point of arrogance and superconfidence that isn't built on anything solid. Conversely, yes. Um, too much criticism can become a self-fulfilling prophecy about what you're being criticized about. And it's kind of interesting because I think it goes very much back to when we're talking about kids. I don't know if this dates me, but the last parenting class I went to, I always remember them saying, "Oh, everything should be eighty percent compliment and twenty percent criticism." Right. Always start with the compliment, but don't say, "But." So they use the end. word but, and we talked about that, yeah. I forget how many weeks ago. Yeah. So I feel like the goal is more what you do with those criticisms and, and praise, how right. they drive you to be a better person. Excellent. If someone is critical of something, it should make you want to improve that. And, right. And if you're praised for something, but you can relate it to something positive you did, you say, well, that really had a great impact on somebody. I should strive to be more of that. And that's a very seichaldic approach, which is what we always want to get to, right? You're using your mind, not your emotions. So again, going back to our principle of character development, which is part of any kind of meter that you want to correct, we're always going to have an emotional response. That's always our primary response. And we said before that Hashem doesn't judge us on that because that's normal, that's being human. Whether someone's criticizing us or praising us, like Bev just said, we have to, again, take it from here in whatever way, whether with the criticism we're going to be like, oh, dejected, they found me out. I can't believe they're pointing out my little weakness, my sore spot, right? And become, oh, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, I'm really, I'm incapable, I can't do it, right? Or the opposite, you know, they just told me how great I am. Wow, I'm really fantastic, I'm, right? Because what's going to happen to you the next minute when it's just a bunch of hot air or whatever? So the idea, which is what Bev is saying, and we're going to get more into that, is take the compliment 
and take it to your head and say, wow, you know what? I didn't know that about myself. Now, a few people have said that. I guess I really need to be using that in life, you know, to help other people, to make the world a happier place. You know, people tell me I'm funny. Maybe I should become a stand-up comedian. You know, whatever it is. I wish I'd try out for Toronto's Got Talent. I don't know. You know, spread the joy around. And, and the same thing with the criticisms. Like you're saying, if we are able to, after we calm down from that primary response, say, you know what, maybe there's some truth in this. Maybe I do do that. Maybe this is something, okay, that I need to work on. And even though the person didn't point it out very nicely, back to our hapada, and they didn't give us tohacha in the perfect way, which we know nobody's capable of today, let alone thousands of years ago, they talked about how people were incapable of it. But still, the person who loves wisdom and loves growth and realizes that we're in this world to fix is going to take it from Regesh and move it to Secha. But we're going to get back to that a little bit later. I want to go back to this point. Okay, so when somebody compliments you, it's okay, but the point is you still have to say, I'm just as kind now as I was before the compliment. This is a person who really knows themselves, right? It's not like a, a big surprise to them when somebody tells them they're pretty. They've been told this since they were born, from the time they were a baby, and everybody was going poo, 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 right? I mean, you know, it's not like, wow. Okay, and we're going to get to why that is and how, how, how we get to that. It's important for us to know our strengths, but myself image, again, should not be dependent on what other people tell me. The goal is to be even-keeled, hishta'avut, balanced. Balanced is the goal. So let me give you an, an, a definition of gaiva and the opposite. Gaiva, arrogance, is the disproportionate focus on positive points. And and um, the opposite of that, which is also not healthy, is to have a disproportionate sense of my negative points, which leads to low self-esteem, right? So arrogance comes from blowing up all of your positive stuff and feeling worthless comes from blowing up all the negative stuff. Hishta'avut means I have a solid sense of reality. I know who I am. And it doesn't change because of what happens to me. I know my good points and my weaknesses, and neither of them are blown out of proportion. How do you like that definition? It's pretty cool, right? That's what's called being even-keeled. I know. I've got a lot of great points because when God created me, he gave me a lot of different things that are good about me. But guess what? The same God gave me a lot of negatives and weak points that I need to work on. Right? I'm perfectly imperfect. And as long as a person knows and has studied themselves, right, know thyself and become self-aware. And yes, other people help make us self-aware. When somebody tells you or many people tell you over and over again that you have a certain talent, right, 
And even though your mother told you when you were a kid, you said, well, I don't believe you because you're my mother, right? But then everybody else told you. Well, you hopefully get to the point where you say, I guess I'm good at that. But do we take credit for that ourselves? I guess God gave me a beautiful voice. I guess I'm supposed to use it to make people happy. And conversely, I can really be impulsive, and it gets me in a lot of trouble. I really need to work on getting rid of my ego of what I want to do and be able to subdue myself and surrender myself and do what somebody else wants done. Okay? Because that's my weakness. Okay? So we're going to get more into that in a little bit. Okay? But we're going off topic a little bit. Okay. Let's talk about the practical aspects of hishta'avut, of being even-keeled. So it means that our self-esteem, like we said, is based on an internal reality of knowing who I am. And it's not based on external criteria, whether it's people telling me things about myself or whether it's myself telling me. I'm not, I thought I was pretty, but now I'm here at the beauty contest and everybody's prettier than me. Or I thought I was, you know, whatever, the most intelligent and now I'm not because I'm at Harvard and, oh gosh, I hope I even, you know, make it to the middle of the class, you know, whatever it is. Okay? So let's think about this in terms of family and parenting. So example, you have a very critical family member. How does that affect how you feel about yourself? Do you get all indignant? Do you get insulted? Do you get offended? Or do you know, you know what, that person's critical. It's not about me, it's about them. Right? Or let's say you're a parent and you have this outstanding child. Your child is talented, she's smart, she's a genius, she's incredible, right? So you walk around, you know, it's like, I'd like to say that idea, there's a, a Rabbi Abba Grossbar. He, he lives in Israel. He's a Balmuster, and he was a student, a Talmud of Rav Volbe, who just passed away. And he used to say, um, oh, I should bring it next week. I don't think I brought it with me. Anyway, he used to say that a person who's arrogant, they take, their, they take their character trait, and it's like a person who walks around with a straw balanced on their nose, okay? They walk around making sure that that straw on their nose doesn't fall off. Okay, so they always have to be thinking about it and making sure it's, it's there and everything else. He says, this is the way an arrogant person walks around who has a disproportionate idea of what they are, who they are. They always have to be worried about putting forth that image. So it's as if they're balancing the straw, you know. I'm the one who always looks the best at, you know, PTA or whatever. I'm the one who always, you know, uh, drives the fanciest car. So whatever that thing is, you know, it's like they're holding it, it they're holding the good to himself. It's a, it, that, that's the expression. Don't hold the good for yourself. And the way that they describe that is somebody who's got this thing that's good, but it's like defines their whole world, right? I'm always the slimmest wherever I go, and, and I want, you know, I'm holding that kind of as my defining feature. Okay, and this, this again, is this is a, a, an overblown, exaggeration sense of something that you have that's good, but like, you know, don't, don't blow it out of proportion. Don't, don't, okay, so you have this kid, and this kid is incredible, right? So you walk around, that's the straw. I'm an amazing parent. 
Wow, look at this kid that I produced, right? I'm really something. Everybody see my kid? You know, this is my kid, you know? Yeah, that's right. They got the lead in the play, and she gets hundreds in schools. Yeah, she's heading to Harvard. She's already got early admissions with full scholarship, blah, 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 right? Okay, so you can walk around thinking you are an amazing parent. However, when you work on eliminating Gaiva, it doesn't mean you can't be proud of that child. It doesn't even mean that you can't be pleased with the work that you did as a parent of giving them all kinds of extras so that they'd never be bored and they use all their talents and they develop themselves to their full potential or whatever it is. But just because at PTA the teacher says, wow, like I had one kid, I don't want to brag, but I had one kid who I, I, I would walk into the classroom and she'd go, He's fantastic! And I would just leave, right? Like, it was like, I didn't even get to sit down at the table, okay? Because it was just like, we're not going to waste time here, okay? Just, she's incredible. You know it. I know it. It's over, okay? So, again, I could walk around going, oh, wow, that's because of me, because I'm an incredible parent. Well, I had enough of others, <laughs> other ones to know it wasn't about me, right? But <laughs> you have a few kids, you find that out, right? But anyway, the point is, is just because somebody tells me my kid's incredible, it doesn't mean that suddenly I give myself 100% as a parent. It shouldn't move the way I evaluate myself, even though I can feel good about it. In other words, I know the places where I'm not doing so well with that kid on some level or another. So even if the teacher and everybody else around thinks that this kid is the most incredible person and I can take full credit for it and walk around with that straw on my nose saying, I'm the mother of the kid. <laughs> everybody see me? I'm the mother of that kid, right? So the point is, is don't... This should not move the way I evaluate myself, though I can feel good about it. I think we'll understand this idea better when we go to the obnoxious kid, okay? You have the opposite type of kid. It's easier to understand in this thing. Your kid is obnoxious. They're the bully at school. They're a rebel, okay? And you walk around with your shoulders stooped and, you know, hardly being able to, to talk, <laughs> You know, with any kind of confidence, because everybody knows that your kid is the kid who beats everybody up on the playground, right? Who takes other people's lunch, you know, who doesn't listen to the teacher and is sitting in the principal's office or outside the classroom every other day. I work at Usoda, so I see that all the time, right? And, you know, that's your kid. So should you walk around feeling completely deflated, the opposite of this lady that has the great kid? No. Why? Because guess what? You might be doing very well with a child who has a very complicated homer. His raw materials are tough, right? This is a kid with ADHD. He was born to be on Ritalin, you know? I may be a very good parent with that child, but just because other people don't see it, just because it doesn't match the external criteria of what people think, right? I don't have to feel beaten. I don't have to feel bad. Because guess what? Maybe he's doing great compared to if he had had a different parent. And I've heard this idea, I don't know whether it was this class or another class, that, you know, a parent of a child like this, you know, even if they don't even amount to much, 
because they've just been a very difficult kid. And Hashem gave you the privilege of trying to do the best you can, right? With this child. That you might be surprised that when you get to the next world, you're handed an award, right? And you're handed an award, parent of the Gadol Hador, right? And you're saying, wait a second, I think you've made a mistake. And then you understand that the effort that you put into this kid, even though he didn't amount to be the Gadol Hador down here, right? But according to the efforts that you did in the world of truth, this kid is the Gadol Hador because of the mother or the father or the parenting that they had. This kid is the big cheese, okay? He's, he's on the top of the pyramid in the next world based on the fact that he had parents who really built him to the degree that he could, even if down here everybody was like, oh, you know, not him. He's not coming to the party. I hope he's not invited, right? Whatever it is, okay. Again, our sense of self is not dependent on outside criteria. Okay, we're almost finished. So let's, let's imagine this in the dating world, right? So you have a single girl. How does she know that she's ready to get married? Okay, so usually you know you're ready to get married when you have a willingness to give, right? You want to give, you want to build a family, you, you're a giver, and you want to receive. But another part of that is you're not ready to start dating until you have the ability to accept rejection. Because, let's face it, in the world of dating in Shaduchim, either you are rejected or you are rejecting. Either you're saying, and in the religious world you see this very clearly, right? Two dates later, either you're getting the call that he's not interested anymore. One and done. Right. Oh, yeah. Or you're giving the call saying, I'm sorry, she had a really nice time, but, you know, she doesn't want to continue. So you're either being rejected or doing the rejection. Now, to say you're sad about being rejected is normal. But again, to question your whole sense of self-worth as a person, that shouldn't happen if you've got a good sense of self, if you've got a good sense of ishtavut, and that's a very high level. Because most of us, especially in that kind of a situation, right, feel crushed. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not lovable. Okay, now we're going to talk about an idea <clears throat> called mirroring. It's a psychological term. Mirroring is the idea that Hashem made babies cute for a reason. The reason babies are so cute is because babies need to be smiled at a lot. Because this is so important for their development. So God made them cute, so we'd smile at them a lot. If they were ugly, we'd just go, ah, put them, put them in the crib. <laughs> There's probably movies like that. I don't know. <laughs> Baby Jane, I don't know which one. The Exorcist. Okay. Anyway, um, you know, babies are cute because we, when you smile at a baby, what happens? He feels lovable. And it's a very sensitive stage, babyhood. But because they're cute and we smile at them, that's the time in their life when they learn about their own goodness. By the way, we smile at them. And I have to tell you, after I gave this class the first time, I tried it out in an airport. <laughs> I was thinking about it. And you know when you're in that long line and every so often there's a baby that's like sort of facing you or whatever? I tried it. I just would go like this to like a little baby, like about, let's say, five months. Like I'd go. <laughs> and it was incredible. They would be... 
<laughs> like it really is mirroring. It's really, really important. Anyways, so this is very important, and the psychologists say that this is the basis of healthy self-esteem. As we grow old, as the child grows older, it should be secure enough. The idea is, is that even if you don't smile at them, they've gotten enough of that mirroring, enough of that smiling when they were babies, that it doesn't make their quest them question their self-worth. They packed it all in in that babyhood, that they have a good sense of self-worth. As we grow to become adults, we should still feel that self-worth even if no one is smiling at us. But the problem is, is many of us are stuck in the mirroring stage. We didn't get enough of it. So we could be in an adult body and we could still be evaluating our worth based on mirroring, right? How often, and we know, we all experience this, you know, we're somewhere where we see somebody and we're trying to get their attention or we think that we know them because we've interacted with them before. I don't know, I find this happens in Toronto a lot. You know, you, I don't know whether it's everywhere, but you know, you meet somebody somewhere, you have some kind of interaction and then, I guess it could happen anywhere, I shouldn't say anything bad about Toronto. but. You know, the net, maybe it's just because it's cold here. I don't know. <laughs> Only tonight. No. That, you know, but, but then you're like, hey, wait a second. How come that person is acting as if they've never met me before or they don't know me? Right? And then we can get all like feeling dejected and, or else we can get really angry about that person. Well, they're a snob, you know, but whatever it is, we just don't do well with the fact that I smiled at you and you didn't smile back. I said hi and you went and started talking to somebody else. I said hi and you looked at me with this blank face as if, you know, I'm from the moon and you've never seen me before, right? We were just sitting together in the doctor's office yesterday. I mean, what's going on? Okay, that's where Dunlikov's host kicks in and all that stuff, right? But the point is, is, okay. If rejection leads to big question marks about ourselves, if we have an existential crisis whenever that happens, that everything is revolving around this, then we have to work on getting to a place again where our healthy sense of self is coming from an internal reality and not from an external reality. This Hasid Gadol that we talked about was a master of his internal reality. Okay. Um, Okay, so we said again, there's nothing wrong with feeling good when somebody compliments you, and there's nothing wrong with feeling negative when somebody criticizes you. That's always going to be our primary response as a normal human being. Realize, though, that the goal is that your self-worth shouldn't be affected by it. We say it every day in benching, right? We want to find favor and in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man. We want to make a good impression. That's part of being human. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to put our best foot forward. But what if something happens that's out of our control? What if I said something by mistake? I blurted something out that totally misrepresented who I am, right? Has that ever happened to anybody? 
you know, you, you all of a sudden have foot and mouth disease, you know, you, you say exactly the wrong thing, and, and all day you were thinking, I, I'm not going to say that, that's one thing I really have to steer clear of, right? And then of course when you do that, that's usually the, the first thing that you, comes out of your mouth, right? Because you've been overthinking it. But the point is, is sometimes, we said before with Hakpada, sometimes there's, a, there's an intent, this is also a psychological term, intent impact discrepancy. What you intended was not received in the way that you meant. Okay, there was some kind of disconnect, or you yourself said something that was totally weird, and you're like, no, not really, I'm not that weird. I realize that was really weird, but I just, you know, but you can't really say that, right? Okay, so, so for example, let's say you're somebody who you're in the supermarket and your child starts having a meltdown. Okay, so if it's your homeware to get extremely embarrassed by that and freak out, that's what's going to happen. But you could also be somebody who is very level-headed about it and knows how to handle it and isn't so concerned about what everybody else around you thinks, and you're going to be okay. So again, our primary responses are not in our control. There's certain ways that we're wired. Our Bechira comes in our secondary response. In other words, back to this idea again, when you want to make a good impression, but something happens out of your control. I know I'm not stupid, but maybe you think I am because I just said that thing. Okay, she gives an example which makes it a little more easy to understand. So she gives an example of something that happened once when she was dating. She was out on a shidduch, and she knew that she was going out with somebody who had a relative who was mentally handicapped. And, you know, this had come up on his resume or whatever. I guess she did some real digging or <laughs> whatever. And anyway, so, of course, like I said, she was thinking on the date, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I shouldn't say anything that, like, it could be sensitive in that way. Let's say it was a brother, that he had a Down syndrome brother or something, okay? So... She found herself, when they were talking about something, she said, Oh, that's so retarded! <laughs> and then, of course, she's questioning herself because she's thinking, I've never used that expression ever. Like, never before and never afterward. I can't believe I said it right now. And so she's saying about herself now, Oh my gosh, she's thinking that he's thinking, You're so insensitive. Right? How could you say something like that? Because she's going, trying so hard to be sensitive, right? So, no, I, I am sensitive. It just, I, you know, it just happened to come out of my mouth, you know? But the point is, is that happens sometimes, but we don't have to beat ourselves up over it. You made a mistake. So another example is, you know, somebody who's really organized and you happen to mention to them by mistake that your pace of stuff still hasn't been put back and it's already Hanukkah, right? Or whatever. And they say, they, and, 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 you know, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I told that person because I know that that person is like, you know, neurotically, you know, they had everything back. Like I said, I think I told you about one of my daughters in law, whatever. She's just like, she wakes up at 5 in the morning and she's outside my door going, Okay, Ima, are we going to start cooking now? You know, whatever. And like, just as soon as Pesach ended, it's like everything was back. We're like, come again. You know, everything was back. Like, wow. But the point is, is people like that. So, you know, so you say something like, Oh, you know, I didn't put my Pesach set back. Oh, they must think I'm so disorganized and lazy because just because I gave over that impression, 
even though the point is, is it's not true. I know myself. It's not that I'm lazy or that I'm unorganized. It's just that I have a different way of putting things back. But what I'm saying again is sometimes our sense of self comes by saying something that misrepresents us and then we start worrying about the person thinking that we're that way. Okay. Um, it's a little hard to understand. I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. Okay. No, it makes sense. Does it make sense? Oh, good. Yeah, so she gives another example that once she was going home and she had all these groceries and she was walking up a hill in Tellstone and she slipped and she fell and she dropped all the groceries and her apples and her oranges and her grapefruits were all like falling down the hill, okay? And of course she gets this like really panic thought because at the same time she sees the yeshiva that's nearby. It's probably your father's yeshiva now that I'm putting this together because it was in Telstone. No, maybe not. Okay. Anyway, the, the, there's a yeshiva nearby and in one second she says four boys come and rescue her and grab all the groceries that are going in a hundred different directions. She sees them out of the corner of her eye and what she's thinking is, oh my gosh, they must think I'm the biggest, clumsiest, weirdest person that I just tripped and all that, right? But she had to balance out for herself, like, what does this say about me? Like, why am I making this moment that is so degrading? Why am I blowing it out of proportion? You know, that we have to balance ourselves and say, does it really say anything about me? Not really. Anybody could trip. Right? But we blow it up if our self-esteem isn't good. We blow up the fact that we made a mistake or that we tripped or whatever it is because we don't have a good enough sense of ourself and we make that almost like the defining moment of you know, of panic, of whatever. Okay, so what's the homework? Okay, we're almost done. That's a very teenage yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. Thinking that yeah. the whole world cares so it's much about this stupid action that you just did and that that's how you're going to be judged. And exactly. Today, that is how you're judged. But what did we used to say is like today's news is... Is tomorrow's fish wrapping or whatever it's called, yeah. the thing on the bottom of the birdcage. It's, yeah. it's so irrelevant right. once that moment has passed. I think that's true, and I think teenagers are a good example of that. But I think we can all say that we ha can have those moments yeah. where we feel that we're somehow being defined by something that, you know, but it's not really us. I mean, it just happened. It's, it's not embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's an embarrassing moment, right. So instead of saying, what are they thinking about me, to go back to the teenager and ourselves, you know, consumed by that idea as a teenager, right? What's everybody thinking about me, right? We have to take it up to the spiritual level and say, what is he thinking about me? What is God thinking about me? What does God think of me? Because truthfully, that's really the only thing that matters. Because other people are going to make misjudgments about me because I said, oh, he's so retarded, it's so retarded. Or because I, you know, dropped my groceries and looked like a shlemiel. Or because I took a bird in the grocery store because my kid was having a meltdown. But I know, and Hashem knows, and I know what my home air is, that I, you know, panic easily. Or that sometimes there's intent impact discrepancy and they didn't get it, but he did, right? So we're taking it back th there again. We're saying, what is 
he thinking of it? What is he thinking about me? So look at the top layer of this mita. How do I react when I worked hard at something and someone criticizes me? Someone devalues me, but I know the reality is different, so I won't be moved by that. Having a solid sense of self when someone seems to be better or worse than me. Hishta'avut doesn't matter whether people are smarter than you or less smart than you. When you have this even-keeled, even balance, you're not busy comparing yourself to everybody else and saying, oh, I was good because I was better than him, and now I'm not so good because I'm worse, right? It's always in terms of you're not moved by the reality around you. Look for an opportunity that something in my sense of self could be moved, but it will not be because I know the internal reality to be true. In other words, I did my best job. I know I did my best job. And even if I'm criticized, it's not going to move me. It doesn't matter what the other person's going to say because I know I did the most that I could. I put the most effort in. And when I know that, right, I can be on this lofty level of saying, you know what, wasn't perfect, but I, I know that I put in my best. And so I'm not feeling deflated by your criticism. Because maybe that's all I can do with what Hashem gave me. But whatever it is, it's to the best of my ability. So it's not going to bother me <coughs> if you think otherwise. Bless you. Okay, we're finishing up. But sometimes you don't do your best, and you know you don't do your best. But then it's up to you, I guess, to still work that out. You still have to try not let it be whatever the other person says. Right? Well, I think that's where it help, it's helpful when other people kind of clue us in to the fact that, you know, sometimes we rationalize, we don't really see ourselves, right? We talked about that a lot in Hakpada, that we're in a box, and other people's criticism, other people's insults, other people's offending behaviors are sometimes there just to wake us up sometimes to certain deficiencies that we have and we haven't dealt with. So either we can, like you say, you know, ignore them and say it's their problem, which sometimes is the right, the right thing to say if somebody is very critical. But even then, if it's their problem, then what am I getting so upset about? Why am I getting so moved by this? It's their problem. It's not about me. They do this to everyone. Nebuch. Nebuch, the guy who urinated on me while I was on the ship. Nebuch, he must have been suffering from mental illness. Right? It's not about me. It's about them. But yes, then there are times when people will say something and you start being defensive and you start, you know, defending yourself. Why? Why are you doing that? Because they're saying something that's true. They hit a boat. They hit a place that said, you know, you, you could have tried harder. You could have been better. If you had gotten off your duff, you know, a few days ago, this would have been done in a much different way. But so then it's interesting because then you have to figure it out for yourself. Um, That's self-awareness. Well, because if you agree with their criticism now, you're going to feel badly about it, but you have to feel badly about it for yourself and your own desire to improve. As you're talking to about feeling again. they said it as a criticism. Right, That's right but again, I think, Wendy, where, 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 where we have to be careful is you're talking about feelings again. There's nothing wrong 
with feeling that sting of insult and upset when somebody criticizes you. Whether it's totally uncalled for because you knew you did the best and so you're not going to be moved by it, or whether it's true. The criticism is absolutely true. You could have done better. The point is, is that feeling now has to be moved to Seichel. And it's either going to be in your Seichel, one of two things. You know what? You can say what you want. I know that I worked really hard on this and I did the best I could. It doesn't move me. Or you're going to take it from the regesh, that sting, that insult, that offense, and say, you know what? I really, I really pull the wool over my own eyes and this person is really pointing out to me something that I don't want to see. That I'm, I'm lazy. I'm just a lazy person. And he's right. If I had done that little bit more and gone that extra mile, I would have, I would have come out first or I would have, you know, gotten the company to where it was supposed to be or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, right? So again, it's not, you know, all one size fits all. It's not every situation is to be dealt with the same. It's always about feel it, take it in, let it hurt. It's going to be painful. You might want to lash out. You might want to defend yourself. You might want to rationalize. You might want to <laughs> feel bad about yourself because somebody just criticized you and how dare they? Don't they know I'm perfect? Don't they know about my disproportionate positive character traits that I walk around with balancing on my nose, right? So that's your choice. Your choice is to take it and then use your intelligence to figure out which case is this. One where I shouldn't be moved or one where I should be moved and I should get busy starting to improve myself. Okay, we're going to end here. I hope it wasn't too much information in one class. But um, I hope it shed some light on this incredible topic through Jewish eyes on this idea of self-esteem and ishta'avut. That's the goal, to be balanced, not to be too much this way and not to be too much that way, to find our, our balance, our even keel. And we're going to talk more about that next week, God willing. Actually, you will get the tape. Oh, you're one 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 Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at Yahoo.ca.